0: And sometimes you do think, wow, you know, that's fantastic. It really is like flying.
1: This is Know What You Think. I'm Zasha Rosen. When drones are in the news, it's usually military drones or maybe Amazon threatening to deliver you something. But drones have another, much quieter thing going on as well. They're already at work doing kind of ordinary things working in agriculture and in infrastructure, making films. New York mag writer Benjamin Wallace-Wells described a drone as something that can move you back and forth between the intimate and the vast. Peter Robinson is a journalist at the ABC, and he's been working on pioneering some of those moves for the organisation. Peter, thanks for coming in.
0: Pleasure, Zachary.
1: Is it fun flying a drone?
0: Yes. Yes, without question. Yeah, I really enjoy it. When I started doing this, I took the immersive approach and kind of thought, well, I better learn what's involved, learn how to fly, find out what the rules are. I got bitten by the bug. So yeah, I really enjoy it. I think it's great fun. Did you have a background in video? Well, I've always worked as a reporter and a producer, radio, TV, usual kind of journalistic path. I always relied on my cameraman to go and get me the shot I wanted. That's been the interesting thing about drones is that you can actually go and seek out those things yourself you can fulfill those creative urges and see if you can get the shot rather than relying on a cameraman
1: so you've been in journalism about 20 years
0: yeah about 25 years
1: when you first started out if someone wanted to get a video like from a drone where you start on the ground and float off up into the sky how much complication would be involved for you as a journalist?
0: Oh, that'd be one of those ones where if you're feeling flush or it's a huge story or something like that, you'd go and hire a helicopter. But that's thousands and thousands of dollars a day. How many people would it take to get that shot? Oh, if you don't have your own helicopter company, you're phoning around trusted helicopter service providers, people who can accommodate a filming platform and have all the right insurances and things. So you'd have to phone them up, find out who's free, tell them the flight route you want to do. Or if it's an accessible place, like maybe out in the suburbs or something, you want a high shot, you could phone around friendly cherry picker, just a crane that you can send the cameraman up in to get the high shot. But I mean, they cost a fortune as well. So what is on paper a very simple shot in previous times would be stupendously expensive.
1: How many people does that take now?
0: Well, now, as long as it's the right person, it takes one person or two people because you should always work with a spotter. But yeah, you go out, you get the shot, providing you're, you know, you're able to fly and whatever. You, know, you just put the drone up and, and away you go. At the ABC, we fly the DJI Phantom 4, which is a pretty basic model, but it's tried and tested. It's underneath two kilos, sub two kilos, which is very important because it's a special category of drone that you can fly without having to have a license. Two of our largest users of drones have been Four Corners and Landline. Four Corners. One that's particularly striking as a recent example is the water theft story. Right at the beginning, The drone is flying low over the parched earth of northern New South Wales, and then it rises up and then behind this enormous earthen bank are unfathomable quantities of water. One of the most obvious shots there is a great big reveal shot at the top, just instantly brings your viewers the nuts and bolts of the story in one go, in this parched environment rivers at a low level, huge quantities of water.
1: What would that story have looked like in the old days before
0: drones? Or you'd be coughing up thousands of dollars to fly helicopters. It would have been far more time-consuming and infinitely more expensive.
1: What does a drone look like?
0: The most common form of them, certainly in the consumer market, is a quadcopter. Although you get hexacopters and octocopters and things, the most basic models are the quadcopters. So four rotors, one at each corner, and they're the things that provide you with the power to do what you want to do. And then depending on what kind of drone you've got, then you move down from there. In my super small ones, I fly around the house. All you've basically got are those four motors and the battery slung underneath. You think about bigger drones, then you're accommodating a camera. The Phantoms that we use, the cameras slung underneath. So you've got four rotors, one at each corner of the frame, the legs for it to stand on. and Then the rest of the body, everything is then built off that with the camera dangling underneath on a gimbal.
1: And then you're controlling it with something that looks like a game controller with a screen.
0: It's a pair of levers. You've got a left hand and a right hand. The one on your left is you throttle left and right to make the aircraft turn And then your right-hand one is the direction that you want to fly in. So it will take off in each of those directions according to that 360-degree potential of movement. And then on that, you then plug in your phone. So you plug in your device. So literally it sits on top with a cable for power. Yeah, yeah. So you plug it in and you join up your lightning cable or similar into the back of the drone. And then there's an app to actually control your drone and you then use the app to control preset moves like a point of interest or, you know, a car or a bike. You mark that up, you tell it what to do. One of the ways that you plan a job might be you get out there and while you're doing your walkthrough, your recce, you're also putting in waypoints for your drone so that then you say go and it will go and fly there then it fly over there and then fly over there and fly over there. And that would leave you free to focus on the camera, for
1: instance. And that's the last bit of a drone that's really hard to describe, like the algorithms or programmed intelligence.
0: No, they're, they're so clever. They're so clever. I mean, this is all that kind of crossover with the rise of the robots. Computer power is now at the stage where these things are so incredibly sophisticated that, I mean, it's not artificial intelligence as such. It's at the stage at the moment where it's providing you with all the information for you to make the decision. But all sorts of other people are experimenting in all sorts of different areas, whether they're from the military or civilian, in order to design a drone that takes the collision avoidance system that is commonplace in drone technology, and instead of telling the pilot that there's an obstruction and the software preventing you from hitting said obstruction, that the drone works out the path round the thing. um, What are the practical limitations when you're flying from batteries? How long can you run for? Well, because they're so good at discharging that power so quickly... The downside is you don't get as much time to fly. So I think with our Phantoms, you get anywhere between 16 to 18 or 19 minutes maybe. Uh, I'd say probably about 16 or 17 is probably about the average. The battery in your phone and in your portable stereo and all the rest of it, chances are lithium-ion. They deliver power over a long period of time. Their discharge rate is quite slow. The batteries that you have in drones, they're different. Instead of being lithium-ion, they are lithium-polymer. So they're basically designed to discharge very quickly. So that's what gives you the power to run four, six, eight motors to be able to fly a two-kilo or a six-kilo or a 12-kilo drone around. The power to actually enable you to fly. The problem is, is that inherent within that... These batteries need a bit of TLC. They are inherently dangerous, I suppose. If you crash your drone and the battery is damaged, don't put the battery back in the drone, you know. <laughs> put it put it in a fire bucket and keep an eye on it and then look at ways you can dispose of it. Because if you get ruptures within the battery, then you get a chemical fire. If you get a plane anyway, you've got to declare your Lipo batteries at check-in and you've got to carry them with you. It all stems from there was a flight was going to leave Melbourne, I think it was Air Fiji, and the pilot was making his exterior inspection of the plane as they were loading away the last of the baggage, and they saw smoke coming from the baggage hold. So all the passengers are boarding, they're <laughs> loading up the stuff, and they pulled out this Pelican case, and it was on fire, and they couldn't stop it, and it was burning from inside. It's a case study in how not to do things. The guy was a professional drone pilot back in the days when it was much more difficult to be a drone pilot. And he said he was on a job, declared a load of his LiPo batteries at check-in, but had a load more stashed in the hold. One of them caught fire, and the chemical fire meant the absence of oxygen was no barrier. The whole thing went up. You can't put it out with water. You'd be trying to smother it with a fire blanket or something. I mean, you know. What would have happened if that was in the air, if it just... the worst, the worst, I suspect. I'm a child of the 70s, right? So this was supposed to be what the future was all about, was robots and artificial intelligence and all this sort of stuff. And I've always liked arcade games. I was a kid when the first Ataris came out and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, I've always loved arcade games and remote-controlled cars and all that kind of thing. And, I mean, it's just looked like a hoot, to be honest. And it is. It's great fun. When you first start learning to do it, I took lots of advice from people who ran drone filming companies and things like that, people who were training providers and all that sort of stuff. And a couple of them said to me, get a small drone, get a small drone. It's all in the thumbs. So, you know, I bought a super cheap drone and I flew it around the house and stuff. And they're right. It is all in the thumbs. It's about developing muscle memory. It's about not having to think about your movements. You don't want to be thinking about where the buttons are. You don't want to be thinking about what you have to do to achieve your next move. It has to be instinctive. And I think it's the same sort of principle. You don't actually think you are, you know, you are one with the operation. You are one with your arcade game. You are one with your drone. You're one with your remote control car or something like that.
1: Does that mean that when you get a drone up in the air, it feels like flying?
0: It kind of does when you're looking for a particular shot. And sometimes you do think, wow, you know, that's fantastic. It really is like flying. But I think when you're actually in the process of getting those shots, a lot of the time you're just concentrating on flying. It's about you controlling this thing. It's you and the machine. And you get to do these sweeps and try and do things that look nice. It's more afterwards when you get back and you can see what you've shot and you've done some big run-in to the coast, and then along for a couple of hundred yards. And that's what you had in your head. You know, that feels like flying.
1: So if somebody's listening and they'd like to get themselves a drone, is that a good idea? And how should they start?
0: Yeah, I think it is a good idea. I think the more the merrier, provided they do it responsibly, of course. Plenty of online retailers and hobby shops and things have got cheap drones you know little small plastic ones I learned to fly on one a little super mini drone that cost me 30 bucks I would personally recommend going down that route learn a bit of the skills in terms of reputable brands and there are quite a lot of them DJI I think are the market leader and Parrot are another one of the big manufacturers they make some very good drones Casa. The Civil Aviation Safety Authority, the people who govern our airspace. CASA put out an app called Can I Fly There, which is superb. So I think anybody out there who is interested in drone use, make sure you download the CASA app and check the CASA app. It's called Can I Fly There? It's free. But it'll keep you the right side of the law because it will tell you whether you can fly somewhere. It would tell you if there's a helicopter route that you need to be aware of that means... You can't go up to the 400 feet that you're legally allowed to fly at. You can only go up to 90 feet or 60 feet or something like that. It'll tell you whether you're too close to airports. What are the rules around flying a drone? The rules are no flying within 30 metres of people, no flying in populous areas. Uh, You can't fly over people, can't fly over roads. So you could go down the beach, you could go to Bondi or something, but you can't fly off the beach, that's a populous area. If you find a vantage point that is away from people, that there's nobody around you for 30 metres, that gets you out of the populous area definition. You can't fly in bad weather. You've got to fly in daylight. Stay away from airports. And always keep your eyes on your drone. You've got to fly at visual line of sight.
1: And for that sort of reason, somebody flying a drone usually has two people. One to fly the drone and one to keep an eye on the video feed coming from the drone.
0: On bigger drone operations yes in my case no not necessarily what i usually employ i use my other person as what we we call a spotter so they're a second pair of eyes for the drone they've got half an eye on your camera feed they're also keeping an eye out in the wider area so that nobody else is coming into your self-imposed 30 meter zone They help you manage the space that you're operating in and it's just somebody else to plan your job with, to work out what you do, to get a second opinion, to workshop where you're gonna take off, where you're gonna land, where you're gonna fly, and how you're gonna manage things. And I would suggest this for anybody who's going out and doing it, even if you're just having a bit of fun on the weekend, take somebody with you, take a mate with you, take anybody along with you. Two pairs of eyes are always better than one water engineers at universities and with local authorities use drones for surveying water courses, for gathering data. I mean, you've got to remember, this thing is collecting data for you in 4K, right? This is like higher than high definition video. It's super, I mean, I actually don't shoot in 4K because it's too high resolution for anything I own. So, I mean, these are fantastically detailed images and there's a whole ecosystem of companies that have a software that can take those images and digitize them make them accessible on an engineer's device so that he can inspect a dam or a mobile mast or a damaged pylon or stockpiles in his quarry
1: You take it and fly it up and down next
0: to the thing and
1: just look for cracks or look for... Yeah, yeah. And this is something a person used to have to
0: do? Yes, yes. I mean, you think about mobile masts. Instead of putting some bloke and his mate at risk every day, clambering up mobile masts and taking photos and all the rest of it, well, you go to the bottom of your mobile mast and maybe you've got a drone with a pre-programmed maintenance regime... Maybe you fly it manually, you then digitize that data and you make it accessible to all the other engineers so that people can monitor the state of these things. I met up with a bunch called Propeller Aero, and they, they had these pads that you would mark out a perimeter of the area that you were surveying so that the software that is decoding all the information that has been shot in your camera knows where the perimeter of this thing is. And so using the visual and the positional data, you could tell somebody with one overflight of their depot how much stuff they've got in each of these piles. All sorts of different companies doing different things.
1: And this is, this is now? This is not. This is now. I mean.
0: No, this is, this is now. So
1: what are some other uses? I've seen some video of drones herding sheep.
0: <laughs> yes, farmers have been adopters of drone technology you can herd your sheep and herd your cattle you can see how your cattle musters are going from the safety of your veranda with your feet up in the shade you can go and inspect your dams you could have it on a pre-programmed mission to go and explore the fence perimeter you could go and take a look at how your crops are doing and that's just down on the farm these are things happening now you have people mapping you have Non-governmental organisations using them to monitor illegal logging. People using them in Hollywood movies. It's much cheaper and more intimate than flying a chopper. Environmental scientists use them. People use them for all kinds of things. How do animals get along with drones? Dogs just go mad around them and they are constantly barking and they want to investigate. Cats get a bit freaked. Some birds can be quite competitive with them. We lost a drone filming the water theft story up at the Macquarie Marshes. It was only a small bird, but it dive-bombed the drone and hit it. And it must have knocked it in one corner, and the thing tipped over and just fell out the sky. And we have had problems with the eagles. Things that are big, they don't like anything else in the area, so the chaps that filmed for us down in Hobart regularly going to shoot old growth forests and things like that they've had operations curtailed by an eagle appearing in the area and menacing the drone and you end up having to stop shooting how does the bird come away from these encounters i can't swear to it but the bird that downed our drone wasn't hurt from what i gather It's not just journalists who use
1: drones to, say, look at the aftermath of a disaster. It might be emergency services as well.
0: I know that a lot of the emergency services have been looking at drones. The Rural Fire Service, for instance, has uh, been looking at drones. Personally speaking, I think this is the area that has the real potential over the coming years. Ultimately, yes, when the infrastructure is there and the technology exists to prevent these things crashing into each other or people or whatever, then yes, you're... Pizza might get delivered by drone or your latest purchase might arrive by drone in your front yard. But I think more realistic in the short term are things like search and rescue, things like delivering medical supplies to -to hard-to-reach areas. You could foresee how, suppose you've got an organ that urgently needs to go from Children's Hospital in Randwick to Gosford. That's the sort of thing that you could potentially... I believe, be able to use a drone for. So it might be like an icebox in a box in a drone? Oh, Kind of. I mean, you know, it's thinking about those kind of things, because I think realistically, with a pilot operating beyond line of sight, an experienced pilot being able to employ the software and his or her skills to be able to fly to Gosford on predetermined routes with a drone that communicates with other air traffic control, blah, 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 blah. Maybe that's going to be a thing in a few years' time, rather than putting on the back of an icebox on the back of a motorbike and hoping for the best, or flying it up there by helicopter. Maybe it's about blood products. Maybe it's after floods. Maybe we have a weekend of heavy rains somewhere in a regional area. Somebody hasn't got their supplies of insulin. You could be delivering them to those people.
1: Where do you think it could go next if it's already in all these kinds of places? if it's already doing this
0: there are a couple of possibilities i mean one is we get a serious incident there's loss of life you know bring down a helicopter or a drone where it shouldn't be or something like that there's some accident somebody gets hurt then i think they may look again at airspace and the controls around them and things like that so it could be that it's deemed too dangerous but equally we could have drone taxis drone bikes some form of drone transport on predetermined lanes. And then there are people developing anti-drone technologies. And then I'm sure further down the track, there'll be people who have anti-anti-drone technologies. It's so fast moving, partly because of the technology, partly because of the advances in computer power. It's this confluence of all these things, the acceleration of computer technology, computational power, data analytics, you know, tiny, eeny-weeny, you know, flight boards making decisions for you. All of these things all talking to each other. I mean, it's so fast-moving. It's so fast-moving.
1: Peter, thanks for coming in today.
0: Pleasure, Zasha.
1: And we'll put up a link to the CASER app and some of the other things we've mentioned in the show page and in the podcast notes. If you like this episode and you want to hear more, you can go to fbiradio.com slash not what you think to hear all of this season's episodes and four seasons' worth of archived episodes you can also subscribe to our podcast there where you get every episode a day early if you like this show you'll probably like a bunch of other great fbi podcasts choose some at fbiradio.com podcasts Know what you think is produced by lachlan wiley show art by annie hamilton linda de Lacy is production consultant it was created by laura briley claire holland and me i'm Sasha rosen next week western sydney fashion